Welcome to Shine Me A Light Podcasts. In this series, the last 27 years, each episode covers the last 27 years in one class of 95 Sydney Girls High School student's life, and this episode is Karina Quinlan. We are so good to go. All right. It's ironic that of all the people you have technical issues with, it's me. I know, right? <laughs> That's the way it always works out, right? It's like <laughs> the plumber with the tap that goes drip, drip at yep. home. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Karina, what are your memories anyway of high school, like 1990 to 95, if any? Oh, I've got a few. Uh, playing the tuba a lot um, and playing it in the cleaning cleaner's room. Uh <laughs> Travelling around and being a muso, uh, sitting on the wooden lockers in the ground floor of the building uh, every morning. Yeah, I, don't, I, I cannot remember those wooden lockers. I only remember the ones that were at eye height. So I think I just thought they were benches. So I was probably sitting there too without realising I was sitting on lockers. And the tuba is the big one, isn't it? It's the yeah, big the huge instrument, one. that gigantic low-sounding one. Okay. Which I, I gave up I- shortly after high school. I wish there was a recording of you playing the tuba. I reckon that would be so awesome to add to this. But Yeah, no. No, it's pre it the digital. Before, yeah, before digital. Yeah. I had a cassette tape for HSC submission, but I wouldn't even know where that is now. No, I have no, I have no cassette tapes. All the mixtapes I spent all those hours making and recording stuff off the radio and all gone. Yeah. Okay, so you and you did you sit you stayed all the way through, didn't you? You were there and did your your HSC and stuff. What 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 was your sort of if you could talk about your experience of going to Sydney Girls High School all the way through? What did you sort of learn from the whole experience? So, I learned that I have like zero self-reflection until, you know, decades later when like I grew up and found myself. Um, and shockingly, and I never knew this until I went into the workforce, I'm hugely competitive. I can't um, not compete with myself, not compete with others. Uh, If there's a competition, I will, like, petition people to vote for me. (laughs) Like it's bad. As you should. (laughs) I mean, I won't, you know, get upset that I don't win. But, um, you know, I've got all these tactics now to make sure that I do win. (laughs) And I'm sure that's from Sydney Girls High, although at the time when I was studying, I never felt that I was competitive with other uh, females in the school but when I went into the workforce I was like oh yeah uh, this is embarrassing <laughs> in a good way I don't mind but yeah I just I imagine in the future there will come a time <clears throat> where our thoughts will become an option to have them public or kept private I'm imagining us all with screens on our heads you know and people will have private on because they won't want people to know what they're thinking or they'll be and the police will be able to review those thoughts this is my vision of the future and that will come <laughs> got a window sounds very matrix like <laughs> it's my vision of the future I could be wrong um okay so what you did HSC and where did you go in 96 did my HSC and enrolled in a degree in education first at UNSW. Uh, yep. Studied that for six months and realised children really don't like me, so I probably shouldn't become a teacher. Uh, <laughs> went around the world uh, the next year and uh, came back to study science, a Bachelor of Science, which I did for three or so years part-time because I was working 
uh, part-time during my entire degree. Yeah. And uh, got to the end, like I had six months of science degree to go and I was like, no, I really want to finish this as fast as possible. So I transferred to a Bachelor of Arts and uh, finished with a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy with a, major, with a minor in science. Oh, I so relate this, the, yeah, the chopping and changing degrees. And um, but you never went used my degree. You went around. Yeah, you never use your degree. <laughs> you get these degrees in things, and then life happens. But but back up for a second. You went around the world. When you say yeah. that, where did you where did you go? So, uh, my high school boyfriend um, and I worked after high school to save up a lot of money. Um, and we took six months and backpacked around um, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, went to Sweden to visit my family, Spain, France, uh, yeah, basically Europe. Oh, went Europe, via Thailand yeah. on the way in or out, can't remember. Because you got to <laughs> do that, you have right? to really because the plane doesn't have enough fuel to make it from Europe back yeah. to Australia. <laughs> and, again, this is before the digital. So I remember at one point um, in time we were on a train, I think travelling from uh, France down to Spain and he my partner had really long hair like down to his his waist so we just cut his yeah. ponytail off and sent it home as like a, a death threat <laughs> um, okay so you did in that whole trek where and you got back how long did that that was just a year oh, I think it was I was probably six to eight months I can't remember at the end we ended up in England for ages and I bought a car for like 500 pounds so we drove like I don't five thousand miles in three months, um, and we were living off pomegranates and chalk wheat and biscuits because we had no money. Um, yep. Yep. Can At the end of that? the trip, and we we're about to fly home. I sold the car for five hundred and fifty pounds. Um, oh and, wow! Yeah, managed to come back with um, enough money to basically cover the airfare that I'd saved up for. So it wasn't a bad. True. No, it was, it you made you just fun. had to pay for fuel basically, free car rental and fifty dollars for having driven yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it was a manual this... car as well, and I had to learn on the fly. I'd never driven a manual car, so that was fun. Yes, I someone tried to teach me once and after half an hour just threw their hands up and just get out of my car. <laughs> okay. So you doing you've done teaching, decided that's not for you. I also did teaching and, and realized that wasn't for me science I've also done that um and then you go into art science and then you did a PhD though didn't you no I didn't I ended up finishing just with a bachelor of philosophy I'm not a doctor I'm not that smart yep. um years 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 well, later um halfway through my career I went and did a master's of business IT management um around the time that I wanted to change careers I believed you had written about music was that a yeah so thesis? when I did a my last part of my degree I did a, a whole research project on um how music is a language and that was part of my philosophy submission um because I'm and I was you, yeah. so passionate about music and so passionate about communication all my life um even though ironically I don't music anymore and yet, can you talk about that a bit? Because I, I talked about this with Grace a little bit with her sensory concerts um, and she's currently writing a thesis on the impacts that music has and how it communicates, how it, it affects parts of the brain and all this stuff and I don't I don't know about it. But, can, yeah, can you talk a bit, what, bit about what you found? Because I reckon that's really interesting. Uh, 
so for, like one music is based on mathematics um right so all of the chords and tones and tonalities are mathematically related um which i find is really interesting and I mean, it's obviously a language because it tells you how loud you are, how soft you are, how slow you are, how fast you are. Are you playing happy? Are you playing sad? So it impacts your emotions um, and that sort of stuff. But uh, for me, I was, because by the time I finished being a musician, I could read in every clef and transpose across every key um, because it was just based on the language of mathematics. Um, if that makes yeah. sense. So that's sort of yeah. what I was interested in. Um, later on in my career, I worked with a lot of people who did study, um, you know, how music impacts your mood. And there's some great apps now that link in with Spotify for mental health outcomes. You know, I think yeah. there's one called Moody Tunes and you tell it how, how it's, you're feeling and it analyzes the sort of songs that you're listening to. And then it uh, recommends better songs, you know. <laughs> more positive you know upbeat songs or something I suppose it probably should ask you how you would like to feel (laughs) rather than assuming you want to be happy but um yeah yeah, no I like that because you certainly can convey a message with music and I think that's really fascinating okay um do you you have children yeah yes I have uh just turned 15 uh boy uh, and I managed to pull off a complete surprise birthday party for him last week. He had zero idea that I'd organised it, so that was fun. And he's, I don't know where he came from. He's this smart, um, self-assured, uh, A-grade student who just manages himself, you know, with dignity and pride and uh, and has never been a, a problem child, you know, like golden child. And I have a six, no, I have an eight-year-old. Um, so he's uh, much later on, an eight-year-old, uh, who's funny as. He is. Uh, he can tell you about string theory in layman's language. He lives in a meta-universe where, you know, maybe he's living on Saturn today. Um, he talks yep. about hypothetical physics. He's a risk taker. Um, and, and, again, I don't know where he came from either. <laughs> Definitely neurodivergent there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love, love I love it. my kids. I love how different they are and I love how they teach me every day something either yeah. about myself or how to be a better person. Yeah, our children are our greatest teachers. I believe that 100%. Well, what was it like for you in the beginning when you had your first child? What were you, How was that experience? Because it radically altered my life. <laughs> yeah, it did. I, I remember, well, firstly, I six weeks after my first was born, I broke both the bones in my legs. So... I, I had this very unfriendly um, beginning to being a mother. Um, but when I, about six months later, I went back to work and I was still on crutches and that sort of stuff. So that was a challenge. Um, and But it changed my life. Like I'd want to go out with my girlfriends and have a coffee or something and then I'd be like, oh, but I've got this other person that I have to look after and, uh, you know, accompany me. And so I had this struggle of am I being selfish in trying to have a life or should I just yes. give all of my time to my child? So that was that takes was a long time yeah. to find that. Balance. But again, like yeah. I had the perfect child. He would get up when he was two years old. He'd get out of bed. He'd walk to the kitchen. We had all his food in the lower drawers. He'd get himself some, you know, muesli and a, I don't know, a glass of milk, and he'd sit down and turn the TV on in the in the mornings on the weekend so we could sleep in. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> Last night I came out from work and my daughter was eating wheat bix She's gluten intolerant. So I'm like, mm. no, you can't eat that. It, 
I should have told you gluten's in wheat. I'm like, did you get that for yourself? And she's like, no, mum, I stood on chairs. (laughs) (laughs) I just loved the interpretation of myself. Okay. Um, So you started off in your career. Where did you go when you graduated from your degrees? So I moved into uh, database administration and uh, marketing, event management, uh, uh, fundraising and friend raising in the not-for-profit area, which I loved. I still work, I still volunteer in that space now when I have time. Um, But I did that for many, many years before internet so now if you donate to charities they're going to send you emails and sms's and they will you you're the digital era right but i was doing this in the time where we were printing stuff out with australia post and mailing them to your house (laughs) and those people would have stickers on their mailbox you know no promotional material no no junk the word spam didn't exist no marketing and no junk mail. That's what all like, I think they would say. Yeah. Okay. And how long? And did you change careers because you're an IT consultant today? How did that sort of come about? Yeah, I got to after my first was born, and I went back to work part time, and then eventually back to full time. And I got to a stage in my career where I was like, I can only move up if some of my closest peers and colleagues retire, die. I don't know. Um, and <laughs> I need a change. <laughs> So I, that's when I enrolled in the Masters of Business IT Management and within six months I started looking for an IT job because um, I figured at the time we needed women in IT and we needed people who could yeah. communicate in IT. So I thought that I'd have a flying shot of maybe getting a job. And so I was successful in becoming a service delivery manager at Sydney University as my first um, I move into IT so I manage the relationship between the business needs and IT needs and that sort of stuff. When I've spoken to people who work in IT, often one of the problems they encounter is the IT manager who doesn't have any understanding of IT. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, so I was lucky because sort of... my dad lives on the bleeding edge of technology. So when I was building computers with my dad when I was five years old. And in primary wow. school, he, he told me I had to learn to code. So I do have some background, but uh, when I... Over the years, I've now moved into a very technical IT manager role, managing developers, and I had that imposter syndrome. I'm like, they're deeply technical, and I would say I'm not technical. So I spent every weekend doing um, cloud certifications and learning about frameworks and software and technology all over again, I guess. So now I, I think I know what I'm talking about most of the time. Yeah. You're a good IT manager to have. <laughs> you yeah. understand it. So what has happened in when we talk, where are we up to late 2000s when you go into IT or in the last 10 years or we sort of 2008 I went into IT and wow. so just moved around I I left the not for profit and education sector for a while and did some software sales with you know private companies which I also enjoyed um, but when I had my second child who was a little bit of the devil I was like, I have to move closer to home. I have to get a nine to five job that I don't have to travel. That's, you know, low stress and I can actually enjoy the family life balance. And so I moved back into the education sector and this is where I'm now managing developers. So we build software systems for uh, Western Sydney University. Cool. I love how I, I still call it UWS though. I can't. I can't go to WSU in my brain. The, the day I started, the first yeah. day I started was the day they rebranded. 
So it was the oh. day they kicked off the rebrand. And I was like, oh, I thought I was working for UWS, but now I'm working for Western. Okay. WS, yeah, I can't, never been able to wrap my head around that one. Yeah. Okay. And then what's happened in the, in the, in those last years before COVID? Personally, not a lot. We, you know, we had, we, we sold a house and bought a house and, you know, settled into being a Hills person moving into the Northwest of Sydney. COVID was a challenge for my family and I, I got to say, we, I went into lockdown early. So I sat in a room with four walls for two years and listened to my partner who'd lost his job teach my youngest, you know, schoolwork and that sort so of stuff. So he did the homeschooling. Yeah. And they'd be screaming at each other, you know, and so frustrated <laughs> with each other. And I'm completely powerless because I'm upstairs working 10 or 12 hours a day and I'd open the door and I'd go, lead with love or patience is a virtue or, you know, something <laughs> Oh, which is about as good as, yeah, when someone falls over saying, be careful, yeah. <laughs> and calm I down. Learned, <laughs> they yeah, were a bit a too lot, far into it. Yeah. I learned a lot about myself stuck in a beige room for two years, you know, that I yes. make many memories visually. And so since I didn't have any visual stimuli, stimuli, I wasn't making as many memories. So then I'd like bring in decorations and every week I'd decorate the room differently. That's an amazing realisation to have, though, because I, I, I wonder how I make memories because I know that we make more memories when we're young than when we're yeah. older and time seems to go slower because we're making more memories when we're young. Yeah. But I've never linked it to anything. So how did you sort of figure that out for yourself? Oh, because, well, so a number of things. I also realised that I actually need human interaction. So I lasted yeah. about six months of not having human interaction and, and being an extrovert, I really needed it before I started getting really um, like not depressed, but just low and unhappy yeah. and everything's boring and everything's too hard to get done. And so then I had to really like re-engineer the way I worked and the way I interacted with people. So um, I set up a lot of like online networking events for say women in IT, et cetera, that I'd met. But it was just, I guess like a having the time to think and self-reflect because I was stuck in a, beige room for two years over two years oh that's intense <laughs> and we were working like really hard and running projects in a environment that we'd never run them in for like how do you manage four vendors and 12 different business units running a project remotely for the first time ever so it was just um constantly thinking and re-engineering the way we worked and interacted with each other yeah I think that had to happen in a lot of businesses. And you're right, the first time doing anything, you're finding all the bugs and you're finding what doesn't work. <laughs> and probably most businesses have got it down pat now, but 2020, ooh, look at yeah. But you had a health issue. I what did. Was um, when my second was born, I woke up one day and I couldn't move my left arm. And we were like, oh, you just slept on it funny. You should um, get up. So I got up and started walking and I lost my left leg and uh, ended up in a car driving to hospital thinking that I was probably going to die because by that stage I'd lost my speech and the ability to breathe properly. Um, so, so raced to hospital and got treated for a stroke because I just had a baby. It's a very common, you know, possible uh, side effect but actually I'd had a what they call a massive brain lesion yeah so and at the time they said you'll never walk again you'll never talk properly again you'll be disabled for the rest of your life and I'm completely 100% okay now 
but it's interesting. I said you, to the doctors, uh, yeah. by definition, what does massive mean medically? And they said, oh, it's currently yeah. two centimetres. I'm like, that's that that doesn't seem massive to me. But over six months, it grew to almost seven centimetres. Oh, my goodness. And I suppose at that point you didn't know if it was going to continue to grow. No, they didn't did know it? at all. I like, if, would I live? Would I die? What was going to happen? And what did you do? What changes did you make in your life to address it? Oh, so every... Every single day when I got home, I got up and challenged myself to do one new thing. So like the first few days, it was I just want to walk without walking into walls. And then it was like, I'm going to walk and learn how to do up a shoelace. And then the next day it was like, I'll walk, do up my shoes and pour myself a coffee. And then I added make the kids lunches, you know, and then I started walking publicly like in the street. And I could walk like 100 metres and then 300 metres and then 500 metres. And over about a year or so, I got up to like 12 kilometres. But And I went, I uh, engaged like physios and OTs and chiropractors and sports physicians and that sort of stuff just to work through uh, rewiring my the left side of my body and my brain. But six months later, I went back to work, and the only thing that was really impacting me by that stage was my fine motor skills. So I was really bad at yeah. typing, but no one knew. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have gigantic keyboards? Do they actually exist? Do you know? Because I don't know. If you, you know what I mean? If the key was this big, you know, it would be less of a problem. I wonder if they I, actually exist. I just remember going, oh. Thank gosh for spell checker because no one will <laughs> yes. think you're American possibly if you've got a regular <laughs> setting, but they won't know that you're having any trouble typing. Changed my life though, that experience in, yeah. at the end of the day. Just, uh, yeah, when I first, I've heard that story before, but I, every time I hear it, it gives me chills and you, I just, that's gigantic. You know what I mean? That's life changing and losing speech and having to relearn these things. I, I think just, yeah, I can only imagine. And having to rely on people to do everything for you. Like my parents moved into the house two or three days a week to look after little baby Cooper. But a few years later, I I had this big revelation that changed my life because I finally realised that it wasn't the doctors and the OTs and the physios and all of that that fixed me. It was actually me and my resilience and or like without never giving up. So it ended up being like the worst, best thing that ever happened. I changed yeah. careers, so it's around the time I went into being more technical in IT. I'm not adverse to risk. I have a different understanding of what's important in life. I'm so much more confident. Totally yeah. changed the way I work and live day to day. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes we do need these, these I call it a gift wrapped in shit, where it yep. appears to be the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. But looking in hindsight, I'm like, I needed that. I needed that horrendous at, at the time. I thought it was horrendous event to happen to have the change that comes from it. That's beautiful. So what do you do in your spare time? What's your chill out activities and stuff? Oh, I do a lot of creative work. Like I, I just made a, a wall hanging out of metal and, and wood and that sort of stuff. And I love cooking. Um, and I do, during COVID, I learned how to crochet um, and um, make artwork, some different sorts of artwork and that sort of stuff. But I don't have a lot of spare time. A couple of months ago, I was you know, having one of those moments, what do I do with my life? What do I do with my career? You know, am I happy? Do I, is it time to move on to the next best thing? And a, a friend of mine challenged me to set up my own consulting business. And I was like, okay, 
Um, he goes, you, you would back anyone else who was at a crossroads. So why don't you just back yourself and set up your business? So overnight I set up an IT yeah. consulting business working for and with primarily not-for-profits and it's um, yeah. taking off in a big way, which is exciting. In high school, I used to collect metal with the intention of one day making a sculpture out of rusty metal, discarded yeah. metal. I thought I could give it a new life, you know, after its yeah. intended purpose it had been discarded. No, I love that. Did you do art in high school? Sure, I did art in high school, not for long because I got thrown out of the art class. Yeah, because I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't remember you being with the, carrying on with the Miss White No, I moved class. from art to geography but, and also music. I've always sort of been like a maker of things like sewing and upholstery and seam, um, you know, making clothes and, and that sort of stuff. So I think that's from my nan who taught me how to. Like, you have so many skills. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no time, all the skills. And I love that I you learn this... stuff in COVID. Oh, so I have this philosophy of um, the way I live my life since I got sick, which is to lead with love. Um, so at the moment I'm on a mission to surround myself at work with imagery around that. So the, the wall hanging that I've created is, is sort of like, it sounds tacky, but it's the sort of like natural love hearts that I found in nature. Um, yeah. You know, and I've got like things written in different languages that say, you know, lead with love around me. Yeah, I've got a rule in my house since ever since um, I re- recovered from being sick because it triggers me when my children say that they can't do something. I'm like, yes, yes, you can. You can do anything you put your mind to. So you're not allowed to use can, cannot or can't in my house at all. It's, it triggers me and I get upset. And if you say that, I'm probably going to help you complete the thing that you think that you can't do. Yeah. Because it's, it's their choices and I totally agree with that too. And it's okay what choice you make. You can say I'm not going to do that, I'm choosing not to do that, but to have this belief that you're not capable of doing it, yeah. It's- Actually, the other week, because Cooper, my youngest, took up trumpet, so following in his mummy's footsteps, and it was the first time mm. they were having a big concert and he started crying in the morning. He says, I don't want to play the trumpet, I don't want to go on the concert, I don't want to do this, I'm not going to do it. And he was really stressed and anxious about it. And I said, that's fine. And he says, I'm not taking my trumpet to school. I said, you know what, take your trumpet to school. When you get to school, just have a think about it, talk to your teachers. It doesn't matter if you play or if you don't play as long as you've made a smart decision. And so he went yeah. to school and he had a chat with friends and he played and he performed and he loved it. So oh, I'm just, I was so proud of him that he took it upon himself to make the right decision. That's how I get myself to work out. I just tell myself we're going for a coffee and we're just going to the gym. We don't have to work out. <laughs> now we're just going to sign in. I'm going to put us It's tricking ourselves. Thanks so much, Karina. I really loved your story and I think you're just incredible, amazing, overcoming some of the things that you have. So we did record multiple times. I have to let it out of the vault. Um, So thanks so much for being a trooper.